And I went to Syria and I went to refugee camps and I'm like 21 years old. I'm hanging out with the Hezbollah just as human beings without understanding how potentially dangerous this situation was. But being an artist, it's a passport and people kind of, you know, and I, and I was sort of skinny and not very threatening and just had like a toolbox with paints and a sketchbook. Oh, I'm just going to do some drawing and people just didn't really, they just invited me to their homes or their tent and right. said, come and join us. <laughs> What's up, Nomads? Welcome back. I am so excited to finally kick off season one with this episode. Human beings have had an innate desire to document their lives as far back as 64,000 years ago when our ancestors were like, oh, let's get a little bit of paint, let's get a bit of little this, and they made their first imprints on cave walls. Now, these traditions have been expressed by countless civilizations. We're talking the Sumerians, the Egyptians, the Greek, the Chinese, Aztecs, and so many more. They would depict the conversations that they've had with their fellow man. Hey, Johnny, how you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good too, man. You know. Now, look, I don't know why people in ancient Egypt are called Johnny, but I promise to stick around long enough. This podcast gets more factually accurate. And that brings me to this episode. Today, we will be speaking to Xavier Pick, a nomadic artist who has documented every single day of his life for the past 35 years using illustrative journals. That's right. We talk about how and why he got started and how he eventually built a life by using his sketchbook as a passport to the rest of the world. We dive into his pursuit of peace with his research into terrorism and how that led to him touring with the British Army in Iraq, painting the scenes of war. I'm hoping if you don't already keep a journal that this episode will inspire you to explore how it can enrich your life. All right, folks, let's strap in and get right into the adventure. Let's go, baby. Episode one. Zav, I want to get right into it. Our audience already knows that you're a world traveler and you've traveled the world with your sketchbook as your passport. You've seen all kinds of things in your life, but I'd like to start at the very beginning. What drew you to sketching in the first place? And why do I draw in my sketchbook? Yeah. Um, I've been doing it since I was about 13 years old, um, started off just as a diary and then, uh, I started drawing in the diary and, um, and then when I went to art college, I was introduced to sketchbook as a discipline and really encouraged by amazing foundation art school teachers that I had to keep that practice going. So art school, I would mm. say fundamentally before it was just pieces of paper and diary and, and then we had, we had sketchbook projects and I saw these amazing artists, my colleagues in textile design that was filling these books with uh, this rich sort of tapestry and layers of different materials and things. And they became objects in themselves. It was different than a book you'd see in a library. It was a physical thing. It was sculptural. It was, it was fascinating. That's, that, that started me off. Mm. And I, I suppose it's, it's almost like a rabbit hole, right? Yeah, it's addictive. It's addictive, right? Yeah, I remember someone said that to me, said, you know, worried about doing sketchbooks. It's like, it's too addictive. Right. It is addictive. It can really sort of consume you. And you tend, I mean, I've been doing it so long. I've, I don't know how. I, sometimes I would like just analyze a page and think, what was the cost of that? If I was to work out how much that one page cost me, hmm. and it would be, you know, maybe hundreds of pounds for that one page because of the airfare, the 
the investment of materials and mm. everything the 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 build up to that one situation was actually it's actually very costly but it might be a very quick drawing but the actual time and effort and investment can be a lot so yeah it is it is addictive and like with any drugs it can have a downside because you're not maybe investing in things which will have a return that's so tangible financially mm. that makes sense i suppose so but i mean if anyone really thinks about sketchbooking as an art form right it's not really like you're drawing on a canvas per se a traditional canvas it's mm. like a documentation of where you've been what you're doing i've seen a few of your your sketchbooks not only do you sketch the environments that you're in but you use them for lists like anybody else would use a notebook mm. right yeah yeah and it changes um you know day to day yearly decades what the purpose is uh now i just work in loads of different ways depending on what's suitable I, a lot more confident with it and why I'm doing it. So not so much importance in creating a beautiful object, more like let's go and use them to lead to other things. Mm. See what I mean? So there's a design development, there's mm. idea development, the story development, mm. that, that's you know, a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. But I, going back to that thing you said about canvas, you know, that's a standard thing of producing work, you know, a support, a, a surface, a the drawing and painting uh, on a surface—it it's, can be a little bit like a piece of furniture. It's an object in its own right. Mm. And painting is very much like that. So, um, you know, it's it's different than that. It's different than creating something that would be viewed in an exhibition context. Even though I've done that many times, mm. um, but it is um, it is a it is a personal. Uh, you know, not it's it's kind of archaic and anachronistic in a way because mm. we're so used to having a book that is something that you uh, that's published and is mass produced. These are one offs. Mm. Yeah, these well, are one off things that um, won't necessarily be reproduced in their entirety in the future. Right. Yeah. Your practice is very journalistic, and you're not the first journalist in your family, are you? No, no, yeah. no. My father ran a press agency. Um, it's almost like a training school. So a lot of young reporters and writers and photographers, they would start with my father for a couple of years in Yorkshire. He covered like Yorkshire, the north of England, that sort of geography. And they, he introduced them to all aspects of news in that geographical area. So you might have a village fair or a cow that gave birth to quadruplets mm. or some, you know, kind of minor story that's cute. <laughs> yeah. Or you can have a murder, yeah, a oh. terrible, you know, murder uh, in, of national importance or a famous cathedral burned down, mm. which which actually was a story that my father sold and a photograph all around the world mm. about 25 years ago and... No, sorry, it's more than that. 35 years ago, what am I saying? Uh, and that one photograph of York Minster burning down um, probably helped him buy a house in the south of France, one photograph. Get out. How much do you think that photograph was worth? It was a hell of a lot at that time because all he had was newspapers as a, as a way of getting a photographic image to the public as such. Mm. And it, there was no cameras that could f film at night. So that was the image of the cathedral burning down. Very important, 11th century, beautiful building. It was a stunning building, York Minster. And so I remember my father waking up at four o'clock in the morning 
woke the whole house up, like excited, elated, almost. Everyone else was deeply upset, but he was kind of elated because he knew he had a story that he was ready to sell to the whole world Mm. and make a financial return out of something that was quite dark, which was an issue that I did have with him. It's like, you know, he's searching for dark stories. He spent every day the court was open in court listening to tragic stories about people who had committed offences hmm. minor ones or very major ones he saw the worst side of human human so beings he was very like tuned to what would be the next hot story what what people he knew what reading. stories were at that time that were important at that time but reading them i'm reading his stories at the moment and I'm seeing a lot of stories that I would like to know more about that weren't documented by him. That there were world events happening that might be slightly touched upon. For example, the Apollo moon landings. All I saw was just a little bit of typewriting about a football match, and there was a little doodle of the astronauts landing in the ocean in the capsule after landing on the moon. There's a tiny little drawing, Mm. and that was kind of poignant. But I want to know more about what the moon landing meant to people in Yorkshire at that time. Mm. The Apollo moon landings are really interesting because my dad, um, when he was on his roof in India, one day flying his kites, it's like a common scene Mm. that you see in India, right? Flying your kite. But as he was doing so, he could see the rocket taking off into space. No way. He could. And then you get everyone around him on all of the rooftops around, uh, around his house. They were all looking up at that same thing. So to think there are certain events that tie all of us together, mm-hmm. right? Your dad knew about it. He doodled it. Mm-hmm. My dad knew about it. He's sharing these stories with the next generation, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a very important moment there. So what's, what's, what's interesting to me, though, is uh, what you said. He'd ask you every day, do you have any stories yet? Yeah. That sounds like it planted a, a seed in, in your head. Yeah, left me very, um, yeah, uh, unconfident, actually, because he never actually said that's a great story. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems like you were, you lived in a place that was very conducive of of stories, right? Because I mean, it's got this rich history. Really, in retrospect, yes. Yeah. In retrospect, yes, because it feels very exotic. Because I've been away from that place for many, many years. Mm. You but just, when you're there, mm. it's the same with everybody. Yeah. If you're in a place and it's your home, it feels dull and boring and monotonous. And it's only when you see somewhere else mm. from the outside that it has that. Um, that sense of being exciting and different. I'm still amazed about being here, though. It's still gone. really fascinating. Yeah, it's uh-huh. it's it's really fascinating. Every year that I'm here, I'm still finding so many finding out so many new things about the place. Mm-hmm. Right, like we're we're just about to go start ghost hunting. Something I haven't, I never even thought about doing in my life. But here we are, just researching all these uh, urban legends around Hong Kong, and it's fascinating because once you find out about something. It leads to something else in a completely different subject that you had no idea about as well. Hong Kong has hundreds of dormant volcanoes. Who's gonna? Who who knows that? <laughs> no one. No one knows. Seriously, Seriously yeah. Apparently. I thought they'd all died out 
million, tens of millions of years ago. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're dormant. They're uh, not active in any way. I mean, dormant means they're asleep so they could wake up. <laughs> I, th- I think they're, they're dormant to the extent where they're more likely to be dead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys, a quick fact check. I know, I know at the beginning of the episode, I said as we go on, things will get more factually accurate. I'm sorry, I lied. But um, turns out there aren't actually hundreds of volcanoes in Hong Kong. But fret not, I come bearing new information. 140 million years ago, a super volcano exploded in Hong Kong, which is why the city exists in the first place. So essentially, this entire city is resting on one of 50 supervolcanoes on Earth. Huh. That explains the mountains. Anyway, back to the show. And filming. Filming, sound recording, writing, drawing, all the things that I'm still doing to this day, as you're doing. Really capturing the moment forever. Not thinking about whether it's forever, but Mm. I think just that desire to get primary research from being in a place rather than getting it from a book. I I, I mean, the other thing that, that, that was going on at the same time was sort of looking at family history because I'm mixed. My grandmother was from Lebanon. I, I again said to my tutor, I'd like to go to Lebanon. I'm going to be a bit late for starting college because I'm going to go to Beirut. There's just been a war there for 17 years. And I'm going to stay with some relatives. I'm going to do loads of drawing. So that was my first sort of major introduction to a war zone, just to see a city that had been destroyed for 17 years. And I went to Syria and I went to refugee camps. And I'm like 21 years old. I'm hanging out with Hezbollah just as human beings without understanding how potentially dangerous this situation was. But being an artist, it's a passport and people kind of... You know, and I, and I was sort of skinny and not very threatening and just had like a toolbox with paints and a sketchbook. Oh, I'm just going to do some drawing. And people just didn't really, they just invited me to their homes or their tent and right. said, come and join us. Yeah. The Syrian army, a bit of another story. Like, where's your gun? Oh, I don't have a gun. It was just, uh, it was just on my own. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't. I wasn't drawing attention to myself mm. by being, you know, potentially connected to anything. Ne- never wanted to be affiliated with any particular political side. Mm. It's more just seeing the um, underlying humanity that we all share. Uh, it seems like uh, your heritage is what led you to uh, Beirut, right? But a lot of your work explores peace and conflict. It, it, when we start learning, and we really start learning, and education does that to, to us, mm. it opens up how little we know. I, in my experience, people who are ignorant... Um, are very dogmatic. I know what I believe and I know I'm right. Mm. But they don't actually know that much. Yeah. And when you start that journey of education, which I started, and again, I'm so grateful to my teachers, amazing teachers, history teachers, science teachers. I can think of them all like my history teacher saying, just do it career that makes you happy Hmm. and everything will fall into place it's great advice usually it's choose a career that'll make you lots of money (laughs) yeah which isn't necessarily choose a career that'll get you respect yeah yeah 
Exactly. So uh, you start learning and then it opens up, you know, how little you know and it leads to this curiosity about what makes human beings do what they do. Yeah. And how did this eventually lead to you being appointed as an artist for the UK Ministry of Defence? Um, I was asked, I didn't want to go to Iraq. Mm. I didn't particularly want to go, but I was very aware of the conflict in Iraq. I'd documented the protests in London mm. uh, and the uh, marches against the conflict in Iraq. Can you give us a little bit of background around what was happening in Iraq at the time? The September the 11th happened, and I was, I was acutely aware of that because I'd just been to the World Trade Center Towers just before it happened, and Drew. I was looking at terrorism. I was very interested in the story of the of there being a bombing there previously in 1993. Uh, I was aware through other projects that there was a connection between environment, economy, mm. politics, and uh, international uh, extremism and terrorism and things. And I was, I was wanting to go to the capital of, um, of, uh, of finance, the World Trade Center. Um, and then that happened, and I could see there was a correlation. And Iraq was then an excuse. Um, the war in Iraq, sorry, the September 11th was an excuse for a war in Iraq, which didn't make sense because mm. what made sense to me was Iraq was about oil. That's a fact. I mean, mm. it was a, a huge amount of oil in Iraq. Yeah, massive. Huge, yeah. f- important economy yeah. uh, for, um, for, for many companies. I mean, that's a fact. And it's deeply complex in terms of uh, tribal uh, religion, uh, sectarian groups, and all sorts of things. And it had ancient history there. It had the birthplace of civilization. It was Mesopotamia. It was the Tigris-Euphrates junction. It was a delta. It had the first pyramids in the desert, the cuneiform writing. It had Mm. first of many things. The first book was written there, the Epic of Gilgamesh that everyone's heard of. The first recipe was written down there. And it goes on. It's re- it like, this was an amazing place, but you had all these other issues as well that was very contemporary. So you had this old story, this new story, my story, and I went and, um, and it changed my life dramatically. And I, I went back two more times, so three trips, and I spent weeks there at a time during uh, filling the... Um, the the bases with my drawings. I hijacked the printers, the propaganda printing machines and printed my drawings and posted them all over the place. And it was just like a sort of an exhibition that I knew wouldn't last very long, but it was just, it was that moment in time. And I met loads of people and they're still friends with a lot of them. I mean, um, that that leads me to ask, like, what's the favorite part about what you do? Because you mentioned earlier that the, the sketchbook has served as a passport for you. Uh, it's hard to say what the, the what the favourite part is, um, because there's the, 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 all these different moments that are stunning. But I'm still trying to work out what the favourite part is. I'm having a great time at the moment, just editing and revisiting and kind of shuffling the stories around to to tell different stories. At the moment, I'm illustrating through uh, a little documentary I'm making about the idea of what texture means Mm. in art and design. Mm. So I'm looking at the cuneiform writing and 
rubbings, graphite rubbings that I did in the desert mm. um, of cuneiform writing to illustrate the idea of texture mm. to teach, right. to teach young people about what texture means. Yeah. You know, I remember my first uh, my first uh, class in art college because, I mean, I was coming out of uh, high school having studied these uh, science subjects at a higher level. Of course, everything is very formulaic. Um, you're you're learning uh, about atoms, what goes on inside atoms, how things in nature interact with each other, et cetera, et cetera. And then I jump into art college. And the first class that I have is how can you draw a line? Mm. I look around me. I'm like, is this is this a joke? You, we, we're learning how to draw lines here. <laughs> you know, what's what's going on? So, I, of course, I had to take foundation classes because I didn't really have a foundation in fine arts. And so um, I'm not sure. It, it, it's quite possible that I was looking, looking down at it almost, right? I'm like, yeah, I've, I've had to take all these difficult exams in science, business, etc. And now here I am trying to draw a single line in as many different ways as I can. But I think as we continued to have different types of design classes, it eventually made sense as to why we had to learn those foundations, mm. right? But learning how to think was the biggest takeaway for me. An idea can be squeezed the hell out of and expanded infinitely with the power of your imagination. And that was just the, the simplest introduction. Mm-hmm. And that's, 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 that's the best thing about our college is that it gets exactly. you to think that way. I don't think many other education things do it's like if you study law it's like this is the law mm-hmm. this has been written and these are a few examples of cases that have uh, have uh, illustrated this law in the past mm-hmm. and this is what you have to learn i mean if i can make an analogy um when we wake up in the morning uh we look in the mirror right as we're brushing our teeth or whatever mm-hmm. you can see what you look like a lot of people are like yeah i look terrible first thing in the morning i look terrible you know freshen up look good go to work for me Keeping a sketchbook over the past few years has almost been a reflection of my mind for me, mm-hmm. right? If that makes sense. When you speak to other people, it's like you're, you're engaged in a discourse between, uh, on, on any subject that the two people share, right? But when you're with yourself with a sketchbook and a pen, you're having a conversation with yourself. Mm. And it reveals to you exactly what it is that uh, is on the surface of your mind. And once you've gotten that out of the way, you can actually dig deeper and find out all the gaps in your knowledge, what you know, what you want to explore, how you're feeling. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people use sketchbooking as therapy as well. Maybe Mm. they can't speak to other people about certain things, so they speak to themselves about it. Yeah, if you do it first thing in the in the morning, mm. uh, a lot of people have this idea that oh, I'll write my diary at night. Um, you're tired, and it's not going to be that cerebral. I always find that early in the morning it's a great time for doing any sort of work, actually. Mm. But um, definitely, you work through problems. Uh, it's almost like having that counselling session to write it all down, get it all out, and by the end of a, you know, a good twenty minutes, half an hour or so, of just writing stuff that needs to get out um you've kind of broken through into new territory Mm. um in terms of coming up with something new but there's just writing some bullet points of what you want to talk about um that really helps or thumbnails of what you want to draw what you want to illustrate and combinations of the two Mm. that really helps um 
and to, you work through those ideas and uh, with a little bit more purpose. I'll tend to say, I mean, what I find, sorry, is that if I'm drawing and writing mm. and you do a lot of it over the years, mm-hmm. you're acutely aware of when you're doing something new or you've written a word you've never written before. So, mm. oh, I've never written uh, I don't know, cathartic yeah. as yeah. a word uh, before. Good word, good word. And it, and it helps expand your vocabulary and your lexicon and um, start coming up with, with new ideas. But also seeing those connections through just bullet points, listing, yeah. and then it, tackling some writing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that helps because we would spend a lot of time with the self-reflection, the self-kind of uh, critical you know complaining yeah stuff which is a which doesn't do us any good really yeah we want to be developing creative ideas and ideas are a a currency that helps a lot yeah there does seem to be um i would say a bit of confusion for a lot of people about what a journal really is it really is a reflection of how what you're thinking jotting down new ideas I mean, George Lucas came up with the idea for R2-D2 while he was on set, and it was completely unrelated to the, to the robot that we know today. Mm-hmm. R2-D2 stands for something like real to, I don't know what the D2 is, but someone on set one day was like, hey, George, pass me the R2-D2. And he was like, oh, sounds kind of interesting. He wrote it down. And now R2-D2 is someone we all know, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny how these ideas coalesce into bigger things eventually in the future, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a repository of ideas, just stashed away. They're your ideas. No one else has had those experiences. So you can really accumulate everything that you've, uh, that you've experienced in your life instead of forgetting them. Because human beings, we, we naturally forget. We live and we forget mm-hmm. constantly. My dad, I think he's, uh, he's kept a, not a sketchbooking habit, but a journaling habit for sure. He like opens up journals from 1989 for example and he's like oh you know what i did on this day and he gets a lot of pleasure out of it you know he seems quite happy with himself he's like fantastic i'd love to see those yeah they're nice yeah and there's some pictures as well it's 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 interesting because you know back then uh kodak when you when you take pictures you'd have like the date Mm. written right so he can match those dates to the journals that he's written as well so it's almost like having a a sketchbook yeah 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 um no no definitely um yeah, it's, it's writing down new ideas, not worrying about producing things that are going to be looked at. Yeah. That, that's, that's, um, that's not going to help you at all. Yeah. Write down good ideas that, that are interesting to you, new thoughts, new ideas. You don't know when, when they're going to have value. For sure. Zav, I think we're coming close to the end of the podcast, so I'd like to wrap it up soon. But I have a few more questions for you. Sure. Uh, one of them is... I think a lot of our listeners by now are at least intrigued with sketchbooking, mm-hmm. right? With everything that you've shared today. Um, what's the takeaway that someone, like how, if someone wants to get into sketchbooking or journaling, I suppose the easiest call to action is go out, get a sketchbook, get a pen, and just start listing your ideas and thoughts down. Maybe challenge them, do it for a week. Right, carry like maybe what, what? What's a good size of a notebook or something to keep on you at all times? Uh, A6. A6. What is that? It's like yeah. a, it's like yeah, this big. Yeah, A6. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's a quarter of size of an A4 sheet, mm-hmm. a printed sheet. Mm-hmm. That's pretty handy. Yeah, I would have going back to the quality of line. I'd have a variety of materials. 
Um, but not many. Just something, say, a bunch of pens, mark-making materials. Mm. Um, I would consider collage, because if you're not confident with drawing, you can quickly create compositions and grab textures and colours and little things. Mm. Find different ways of collaging. Mm. I'm experimenting, and especially with the films I'm making, Mm -hmm. finding different ways of transferring images, photocopying, you know, looking at different qualities of keep grabbing images um draw the human figure as as much as you can because we'll never stop learning about that Mm. um experiment with line quality uh write down dialogue and conversation Mm. so when you hear people talking uh be when you're in a conversation it's hard to remove yourself and just think about what you're talking about but maybe just eavesdrop a little bit on what your parents or what your friends or what you overhear so in a restaurant or somewhere just grab a little bit of uh, actuality as, as reference and just write those little sentences down learn new words learn new languages um it, it's as broad as the universe you can mm. you can you can describe the universe as einstein did or the nature of evolution as charles darwin did uh, or you could write a symphony, um, or you could write an amazing banquet mm. uh, menu, or uh, the framework of a movie, or the title of a book. There's, there's so many things you can write. Or all the above. People have varied interests, right? It really could be just a document of everything that you're interested in mm. and what you think about it. Mm-hmm. Right? I think a lot of people do confine themselves to... Um, very few interests thinking like this is who I am and I cannot do this other thing because these people say I can't do it or I do not fit the the mold of what is accepted and it doesn't matter it It really doesn't matter because you know we have so much aspiration about what we should have in terms of the quality of life and you get there and it really people aren't that happy Mm -hmm. are they really I mean some are but some people who don't have the things that are determined to be important mm. incredibly joyous mm-hmm. um use it as meditation as well you know just use the book to think about what's amazing about being alive now you asked about a bucket list i mean i could talk about travel like places i'd like to go i'd like to go to some cold places i'd like to go to siberia i'd like to look at the melting permafrost there because some of the shapes and forms in the landscape there are stunning i'd like to see a little bit more um tectonic plate activity maybe new zealand Mm. not get too close i think that would be stunning uh be amazing to have a residency in antarctica for a while that would be absolutely gorgeous Mm. and see a little bit of south america and Mm. understand the aztec civilization and the mayan civilization um, maybe just spend a bit of time on some islands in the Pacific, like Easter Island. I've always wanted to go to Easter Island because yeah, that's a beautiful that, metaphor. Me yeah, a beautiful <laughs> metaphor of uh, environmental destruction by mankind mm. in a contained environment. Um, but in terms of work, uh, I still don't think I've done my best work yet. Uh, I've done a lot of work, a lot of projects, but I haven't put them together in in a in a in a more in a concise form. So. I would like to make little narratives, little stories with moving image. I might move into animation. I might go deep into personal stories in a semi-fictional way in, um, in, in novel writing. 
uh, illustrated, maybe even graphic novel. They're all interlinked. Mm. Yeah, they're all interlinked. Agreed. Xavier, my man. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for today. You're the hero in my world. Uh, Thank you so much. Lovely. Thank Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. And that is episode one in the books. Future Nick, if you're listening to this, you did it. Fans, folks, nomads, thank you so much for listening to episode one. Really, I hope you guys got something from this episode. Listening to Zavi and I sit down and talk about journaling, sketchbooking, and everything else that we talked about. Uh, Biggest takeaway, just buy a journal. Go buy a journal. Go buy a pen. Maybe a couple pens. Maybe a highlighter. Tipex. And uh, start documenting your life. See what a, a week does. If you really enjoy it, do it for a month. All right, folks. I'll catch you in the next episode. See you then.